Hey, I'm Emily Chenevere, advocacy nerd, Peloton enthusiast, wife and mama to two, and CEO of the Austin Board of Realtors. Every day, real estate is changing, so we're taking it to the experts to unpack major topics that you need to know about to be successful in this business. Scratch what you think you know about this business and listen up for a fresh take on an old industry. We decided to break up our series with a special show featuring world-renowned author and speaker Hal Elrod of The Miracle Morning. After surviving multiple near-death experiences, Hal has been impacting millions of people through his books and speeches to, as he says, elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. Hal's going to be our guest speaker at Think Up Live on March 23rd, where he'll be sharing how realtors can thrive in this chaos of a current housing market by practicing powerful daily habits. You can find more information about Think Up Live in our show notes. Learn how to tackle any obstacle by tuning in. So let's start here. For those who have not read The Miracle Morning, give me the basic breakdown of what a miracle morning looks like. Yeah, great question um, or great start. So the Miracle Morning uh, is a a morning ritual and it's also kind of a life philosophy in one. And the premise of it is that if you think about how you start your day sets the tone for the rest of the day. It sets the context, it sets the direction. And in other words, if you have a morning where the alarm goes off, you hit the snooze button three times, right? You're like procrastinating, you're getting out of bed, you get out of bed with this inner, oh God, I gotta face the day right? Like that's who you are showing up to your day with. And your results tend to reflect how you show up. The Miracle Morning is about waking up every day with intention and purpose and commitment. It's about having a growth-oriented, goal-oriented morning and dedicating time to become the person that you need to be to create everything else that you want for your life. So in that way, when you start your day with that kind of energy and momentum and and focus, you can't help, you know, it's hard to not create a great day because you're showing up that way. And then it's made up of six practices. And these are, uh, when I was creating the Miracle Morning, I was looking for like the most effective morning personal growth practice. And doing research, I ended up with a list of six practices. And I go, well, which one's the best, though? Like, which one? You know, I I can't do all of them. Like, which one's the best? And I ended up, the epiphany was when I went, wait a minute. What if I did all of them? What if I woke up tomorrow and I did the six most timeless, proven personal development practices in the history of humanity? I thought that would be, A, the ultimate morning ritual. And B, that would help me to quickly become the best version of myself, right? And so the six practices are known as an acronym SAVERS. Um, And that's my wife's idea. We'll get that later. But silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. And to quote one of my favorite authors, and I know many realtors' favorite authors, Robert Kiyosaki. um, He wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Robert interviewed me on his radio show after he had read the book three times. He had read The Miracle Morning three times. He was doing it every day. And this kind of ties a nice bow on the practice is he said, how before the miracle morning and before those six savers, he said, every successful person on the planet swears by at least one of the savers. Either they meditate to, to get their day started right, or they go to the, they exercise first thing in the morning, or they read and learn something, or they journal, right? He said, but I had never heard of anyone, myself included, he said, himself included, uh, he said that did all six of these. Maybe people do one or two 
three at the most. He said, but when you fall six, you do create miracles in your life. He said, I think you named it right. So, so that in a nutshell, that's kind of the whole picture of what the miracle morning is. And so miracle morning, Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday. What, how often do you get asked, do you really do this every single day of the week? I love that you asked that. I have personally averaged every day of the week for the last, uh, what are we at, 13 or 14 years since I started it. <laughs> Li- All literally. the gold stars, Hal. All the gold yeah. stars for that. <laughs> the, the only, and well, now, let, me be, let, me, let me be clear. Uh, this is a question that we get a lot in the Miracle Morning community, sure. uh, the Facebook group. And it's, hey, you know, hey, I'm new to this. Like, I've been doing it Monday through Friday. Does anybody do it on the weekends, you know? And the the answer is almost always consistent across the board for anyone that's done it for a while. And it's the same as, same as my answer, which is at first I did it Monday through Friday. And just cause we're conditioned as a society. Now Saturday you sleep in, you do nothing. You're lazy, right? Same with Sunday. And so what happened is I'd feel amazing Monday through Friday. I'd wake up, I would meditate, I would journal, I would exercise, I would do affirmations, I would visualize, right? I would create the perfect day. And then Saturday I'd sleep in. And I'd wake up at, you know, eight or nine or 10 or whatever. And I'd get out of bed and go, eh, Mm. like compared to how I feel right now, compared to how I felt yesterday at this time, radically different, right? Because how you start your day sets the tone and the context and the direction for the day that you create. So most people, myself included, started with five days a week and then went to six days a week and then went to seven days a week. And I want to, I'll close this out by quoting Oprah Winfrey. And I'm going to probably butcher the quote, but the general idea She said, "Um, I love waking up early and being productive on a Saturday morning because it doesn't come with the same time pressures that the Mm. weekdays do. And Mm -hmm. so my favorite miracle mornings are on the weekends because I wake up and I'm like, I can do the miracle morning and then I don't have to jump into work. I get to just wait till my kids come down and and we just engage and play. It's such a free day. And so, yeah, I do the miracle morning seven days a week and most experienced practitioners do the same time if you do it you know four days a week you're it's still going to change your life you don't have to do it seven days a week yeah i think that's interesting too as both a parent but also somebody that believes that you have to take care of yourself if you're going to take care of other people be it children be it colleagues friends family yeah. whatever that like if the point is to set your intention and be your best self for that day then saturdays and sundays are for you anyway or they're for your kids or they're for your family or whatever it might be and why are we not putting the same energy into being our best having our best day those days also but we really don't as a society we we value the weekends in a different way lazy is not always best for us or slow is not always best for us yeah i mean there's nothing wrong yeah there's nothing wrong with taking that that slow time in fact it's i think it's crucial but but here's what i've found so the you know often we show up at our best for our work and our worst yeah. for the people that we love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they, they get left. I used to realize that I played with my kids only in the evenings and they got leftover dad. They got dad that was exhausted. That was yes. mentally drained. There was emotionally fatigued. Right. And I'm like going through the motions, holding action figures in my hands, counting the minutes until they go to bed, you know, yes. terrible, yes. you know? And so I realized that if anybody deserves me to do a miracle morning and get intentional to create the best show up as the best version of me for the day, it's my wife and my kids. Yeah. So my miracle morning on the weekend is very family focused. I do all my meditation, all my affirmations. It's designed to put me in a peak state for the family. And I'll give you a quick fun story. Last weekend or the weekend before, I think it was the weekend before last, I got in this state in the morning of being really playful with my kids. And I set this intention to go over and above that day, like just mm. to be wild, fun, crazy dad. Right. 
and it, it I don't know you know talk about like the law of I don't I don't even know what but my my daughter I went up in the morning they were in the playroom and I said hey guys I didn't even hear you wake up and she goes dad remember that one time when you like uh, you role played and you you put on a wig and you pretended you were like a little old lady and you shopped in the playroom and we sold you stuff. I go, yeah, yeah, I remember that. She goes, will you do that again? And I go, I'll be right back. And I go, okay. <laughs> my intention was set that morning to go over and above what they expected. So I went into my wife's closet. I put on a dress. <laughs> I grabbed the Halloween wig. I grabbed, and then I, I saw my wife. I'm like, okay, let's get, let's make it good. I grabbed my wife's lipstick smeared it all over my face and nose and like just just ridiculous right and then i i burst open the door to my kids and i'm like hey kids and i just go in like my and and the greatest sound to a dad's ear my, my daughter's like dad you are um, i can't even believe you're the greatest this is so great and i'm just like right my heart is just warm and but again if i hadn't done my miracle morning that morning right? And, and, and been so intentional with how I was going to show up for my kids, I wouldn't have shown up that way. And imagine that that's what the Miracle Morning does for you is you get to be that intentional with how you show up to every single aspect of your life, every single day of your life. But there is this balance, right? Between like truly being tired and finding time for the sleep. And we think of Saturdays as the day to catch up because we spent all Monday through Friday, go, 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 go. So how do we balance between hitting your stride right for the day and then also giving back what you need in terms of rest and recharge. It's a great question. I definitely, I don't think that I'm going to, my, my, my opinion, my experience here is that we shouldn't live our life so that we have to recharge on the weekends. That's my thought uh. is that we should live relatively balanced throughout the week. And, um, you know, I used to in 2000, you know, five, six, I was a workaholic, in fact, for longer than that, but you know, I was a workaholic and this is before I had kids. And I would work until 9 p.m. And then I would get off and I would like watch TV with my, my wife, now my wife, my girlfriend at the time, right? Watch TV with her for an hour and go to bed. And then one day, she, it was kind of a new relationship, so she didn't want to step on my toes. But finally, she was like, hey, I'd love to see you more than an hour a day. Like we lived together at the time, you know, and um, we were pretty serious. And she goes, is there any way you don't have to work until 9 every night? You know, and I loved my work, so it didn't even feel like work to me. And so anyway, long story, not too long, I, uh, I, I just decided, I go, okay, you know what? I committed to her. I go, I'll start getting off at seven. And she's like, great. And guess what? Every day at seven, and seven, by the way, went to six, which then went to five. And now it's three, because that's when my kids get out of school and I don't work when they're out of school. Here's the thing. Every day at seven, or now at three, I had way more work to do that I could have kept working on. I could have talked, I could have justified why I should keep working, because I have more things on my to-do list than I can possibly do. And it reminds me of a great quote from a Jason Mraz song. He simply said, life is for living. Mm. You know, and we, we've been conditioned, we've been brainwashed by our society into thinking that, no, life's for producing. Life is for working. Life is for getting ahead. Life's for making more money. Life's for making the most of every possible second. Like, no, life's for living. So we're in a housing market that literally has almost no capacity. Agents are working harder than they've ever worked to put a deal together to serve up somebody's, you know, most innate needs, the need for shelter. And especially during, through the pandemic and in terms of our, our 
focus on home. And they're, you know, they're working, 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 like white knuckling it through every day just to try to get a deal done. But, and, and what I'm thinking is you're telling them, well, hey, the work's going to be there tomorrow, but they're, they're an eat what they kill industry, right? Yeah. So how do they balance between yeah. meeting their basic needs and then managing through, you know, not being a workaholic? That's really hard. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm so glad that you didn't just take my first answer and that we're diving a little deeper because this is important. Sorry. No, <laughs> yeah. no, this is so good. Um, so, so yeah, so my thought on that is that I do believe everything that I just said is, is I guess that's true for general life, if you will, but sure. I do believe that there are times to be intentionally out of balance, right? There are times to strike while the iron is hot. And, and, I, and especially in real estate, I will say, and so I have, there's two answers to this. Um, but the first one is that, uh, yeah, the market's not going to be like this forever, right? right? And we don't know how much longer it's going to be like this. So absolutely, what, what you, you should be doing, I do believe that you should be working more now than you would. And knowing that there may be a point where you will not have the option to work this hard, right? So be grateful for it. Um, take advantage of it. Now is the time to maximize and to really save and create that emergency fund, create that six months of, of, you know, right? Like create that cushion so that when there's not as much to hunt, as you mentioned, right? Then, then you know, you, 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 you balance that out, right? You're not spending everything that you make. And I saw that in 2008. I have a friend who was making a million dollars a year as a lender. He had the house. He had multiple cars. He, I mean, you know, he had a Bentley. He had a Rolls Royce. He had all the things, right? And then the market, uh, it crashed in 2008. And he was spending everything he was making, right? You know, and then he foreclosed on the house. So, so keeping that in mind, really taking advantage of this time now, but here's the, here's the point. So that's the macro. The micro is go to bed 30 minutes earlier to wake up 30 minutes earlier to dedicate time to nurturing yourself. Care enough about your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being to wake up and, and, and have that morning, you know, whether you call it your miracle morning or whatever, have that morning time. So it's not an either or. It's not a, well, the market's hot, so I, got, I don't have time for personal growth. No, it's the market's hot, so I'm not going to watch Netflix as late at night. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to binge for 30 minutes less to wake up 30 minutes earlier and, you know, do a few of the Miracle Morning practices. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I want to talk a little bit about how you came about at this practice, at, this, at building this ritual. And my understanding is that it came through your own personal trauma, through health experiences that you'd had. And I can share a little bit about my own trauma and maybe we can connect on this front. But yeah. I have a, a six-year-old now who had a kidney transplant just shy of two years old, two weeks before he turned two. And the first two years of his life were totally traumatic. Dialysis at home, very, very sick made his way. Now he's a rip-roaring nutball six-year-old, which nice. is a miracle in and of itself. But I know that for me, what enabled my success to, to support him through that was routine. That mm -hmm. if I could anchor, you know, in the things that I could control, that the things that I could not control were less scary to me yeah. and less overwhelming. And I suspect that maybe some of that was true for you, but tell us more about your experience and how you came at this. To be clear, the Miracle Morning wasn't an idea. Like it wasn't a, oh, here's a great book idea. I think this would right. be really, right? This was a very organic, I was, it was 2007 and the US economy started crashing. I'm what you would call a delusional optimist, right? Where I'm just like, I've learned from that mistake. I'm a little more realistic now, but I used to be like, People would go, dude, you're watching the news? 
the economy is not looking good. And I'd be like, I create my own economy. I don't live in fear, blah, blah, blah. Right. And all of a sudden it's like creating your own economy is one thing. But if, if your clients, I was a coach at the time, all of my income came from one-on-one -on -one coaching with salespeople, in fact, real estate agents, business owners. Right. And so all of a sudden I started getting, you know, I got my first phone call. Hey, Hal, our economy, our, our industry is really hurting. I can't afford to pay for coaching anymore. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, no problem. I mean, you know, do what's best for you. And then another client and then another client. And then, and all of a sudden in, in a, in a matter of months, I lost over half of my clients as in half of my income stores. I couldn't pay my mortgage. I, I lost my house went into foreclosure, which is depressing in and of itself, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was living on credit cards where I went from being debt free. Like every month I was paid off to, I had $52,000 on my credit card for groceries and gas and, you know, just living. Mm -hmm. And I got really depressed and really scared. And, and like, I felt like I was drowning in quicksand. And a series of events led me to listen to this Jim Rohn audio. And I'm going to share the quote that changed my whole life. Because for some people listening, this may be a quote that, you know, is, is a game changer for you. Uh, Jim Rohn said, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. Because success is something you attract by the person that you become. I'll say it again. Your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. And in that moment, it like it hit me and I went, okay, that makes sense. So if you develop yourself into with the knowledge and the confidence and the habits, right, then you're naturally going to you're going to just attract or create the success that mirrors who you you're becoming, who you've become. And I quantified it. I went, and everybody listening, you can kind of quantify this for yourself. On a scale, and I'll ask you this, it's kind of a rhetorical question, Emily, but play along, okay? Um, on a scale of one to 10, if we are measuring success in any area of our life, our relationships, our health, our finances, you name it, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most successful, one being a failure, what, what level of success do we all want? Oh, 10, all day long. 10. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've never met anyone that's like, eh, I don't want to be too successful. Yeah. Like, I just want to be like six, a seven. But thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, like one thing that human beings share in common is we all have unlimited potential and we have this deep innate desire to fulfill that potential. Now we also have the ability to fulfill the potential, but most of us have, it's blocked by fear. It's blocked by insecurity. It's blocked by self-doubt. And so we all level 10 success. And in that moment, I listening to Jim Rohn's quote, I quantified it. I went, so if I want level 10 success, what's my level of personal development right now? And at that time, I was, I was depressed. I was stressed. I was, work, I was working until 9 p.m., not getting results. Yeah. I was like, I'm at like a two, maybe like a three on a good day. And that's the disconnect is we all want level 10 success. But for most people... How, the, the level of development that we are fully engaged with and committed to doesn't match that. And so that was when the epiphany, I went, I'm going to go home and I'm going to Google what do the world's most successful people do for their personal development. And I'm going to figure out the one or two practices that I could do every day to quickly become a level 10 person so I can create that success I wanted. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I had a list of six practices, right? And I'm going, well, which is the best? And what if I do all of them, you know, and right. And the next morning I woke up and I, I, I always say this, it's very true. I sucked at all of them. Like I had never meditated before, like yeah. affirmations, 
you know, I Googled on the internet and they were really goofy. Like, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm a millionaire. I like, no, I'm not, but I'm, you know, it was just like, just like kidding yourself, you know? So I sucked at the practices, the savers, if you will. Um, but even doing a, you might call it a mediocre morning that morning, that first day, I felt like, wow, if I start every day with this much clarity and motivation and energy and gain this knowledge, it's only a matter of time before I become the person that I need to be to create what I want for my life. And that's what the miracle morning does for you. Right. And, and so we're, the last thing I'll say is it's universal. We just had a documentary come out for the miracle morning movie. Um, yep. Mike Keaton is in the movie. He lost 90 pounds, right? I didn't write the miracle morning as a weight loss book, but he's one of thousands of people that applied their miracle morning to the mindset and the habits and the discipline they needed to lose weight. And then they did. Other people apply it to increase their income and then they do to improve their marriage. And then they do. Right. So, yeah, so that's the essence of, you know, how the miracle morning, how it applies and where it came from me. And, and one last thing, I know famous last words, the reason it's called the miracle morning, it didn't have a name. I was just doing this morning practice every morning. And it, within two months of doing the practice, I more than doubled my income. And I want to put really important to point out, this was in 2008 in a declining economy. So I want yeah. you to consider, I know a lot of people, you know, for those, some people, not a lot, a lot, think about, oh gosh, when the economy crashes, what am I going to do? What's the future hold? There's so much that's out of my control. And I'm living proof that even if the economy gets worse, as long as you continue to get better, you can create any kind of results that you want. And because I doubled my income in that time, I started training for an ultra marathon. I went to my wife and he goes, sweetheart, this morning routine has changed our life so dramatically in two months. It feels like a miracle. And she goes, it's your miracle morning. And I go, yeah, I like it. And like, that's where it was born. And then I just started teaching my coaching clients. And, you know, now it's, you know, 12 years later and it's, uh, it's, it's still finding new people every day. So you're speaking though to the purpose of the savers as offering intention for your day, right? And being really deliberate about where your focus is, what, what you're going to make happen for that day. How much of that intention drives through the remainder of your day? Do you have other routines that you circle back to? Like, how do you close out your day? What, is it just the morning or what happens at morning, noon and night? What I find is that the morning is, it's kind of like going to the gym for your mental and emotional and spiritual capacities. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's what I mean. You don't, you don't go to the gym just to go to the gym, right? You, Most you, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, but, but ultimately, if you're, if you're exercising, you're doing it to either get stronger, to have more physical stamina, right? And so when you leave the gym, you know, if you've been working out for a few weeks, right? You, the strength is there when you need it to lift something at 4 p.m., right? The stamina is there when you need energy throughout the day. And so in the same way, the miracle morning, and I'll, I'll give you some example. I'll give you one example. So silence is the first S in savers. And okay. silence is your meditation time. It's your prayer time. It's your just simply quiet time, your con contemplation, right? Your deep thinking time. Um, you know, I believe that our, the greatest wisdom that's available to us at all times, whether you believe it comes from God or your subconscious or collective intelligence or whatever, um, that comes in silence. We don't hear that voice when we're looking at our phone. We don't hear that voice when we're talking and driving and doing things, right? It's when we're sitting in, that's why the voice usually shows up in the shower or it shows up at night when you're falling asleep. 
but it's beautiful to start your day by going breathing and hey what do i need right now what do i who do i need to be how do i need to feel and i'll tell you my favorite form of meditation i call it emotional optimization meditation and this speaks directly to your question about is it just the morning or does it affect the rest of the day or so here's how this works and if anybody's taking notes you might i'll, I'll give you three really simple steps okay. step 1 identify which emotion would best serve you right now identify which emotion would best serve you right now so ask yourself what emotion would best serve me right now and and right now might be today it might be at this time in your life right like if you're going through a stressful time you're like man i need i need to feel peace inside right or i've been unhappy i need to feel happy so choose the emotion that would best serve you during this time in your life or on this day and then step 2 identify a stimulus that will bring about that emotion for you. So the stimulus could be a memory. Well, the last time I felt happy was blank. All right, let me think about that. How did that feel? Remember that, picture that, imagine that. What did that look like? What did that feel like, right? And get that feeling, embody that emotion. Go back in time if you need to, right? It might be if I want to be happy or grateful, I just think of my kids, right? So I don't have to go to a memory. I just literally picture their faces and I'm like, uh, I just get happy, um, right? So, I mean, I feel it right now. Just, just thinking of them, I got happy. So the point is you identify the stimulus that will bring about that emotional state. And then you set your timer to meditate for five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever you want to do, right? For me, I usually do about 10 minutes of meditation every morning. But I just sit there and I, you know, for lack of a better word, I, I marinate in that emotional state. And here's what's happening from a scientific aspect when you're doing that. You're literally creating and reinforcing neural pathways in your brain that make that emotional state. You're hardwiring it into your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And now you have access to it at any at 2 p.m., at 4 p.m., at 9 p.m., whenever you want. You just yeah. close your eyes, get back into that state. And just like going to the gym, if you go exercise once, the strength isn't going to last a long time. But if you go four or five days a week and you keep working on the same muscle groups, you're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger physically. And you're going to have access to that strength 24-7 anytime you want. Same goes with the Miracle Morning. And in this example, the emotional optimization meditation is when you reinforce those emotional states and you don't need to pick the same one every day. It could be, you know, confidence on Tuesday and Thursday and happiness on Monday, Wednesday, Friday and playfulness on Saturday, Sunday, whatever. But getting in those states... Uh, it allows you to become those emotional states and access them whenever you want. Yeah, I like too that you call them practices because I think that's the point you're making is that, you know, as we build muscle, we get stronger, but it takes time to do that. And the same is true for each of the practices that make up your miracle morning, it seems. Yeah, 100%. So. Um, let me ask you, so obviously we've all experienced a special level of trauma over the last year. I mean, it's it, these have been things that none of us could have predicted in many, many ways. But how has the Miracle Morning changed for you from one year ago today to now and through the pandemic? Yeah, so what's interesting is, so a year ago, so for anyone that doesn't know, uh, four years ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare aggressive form of cancer, uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And I was given a 20 to 30% survival rate, you know, so for any human being, that's hard to hear. And as a parent, especially, right, my daughter yeah. was 11, or sorry, she was seven at the time. My son was four. 
you know, and to look at my babies and, 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 and think the doctors are saying there's a 70 to 80% chance that I am dead in the next few weeks to the next few months. And that's hard to deal with. And I did the miracle morning throughout the cancer journey. And I had an affirmation Uh, the day that I was diagnosed and given that those grim odds, I told my wife as she was bawling her eyes out, I said, Mm -hmm. sweetheart, I know you're scared. I know that the doctors are saying there's a 20 to 30% chance of me surviving. I said, I want you to know something in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, in every fiber of my being, there is a 100% chance that I will be in the 20 to 30% of those people that survive this cancer. Mm -hmm. There is no other option for me. And I believe in the mind body connection and I will heal my body with the best of Western medicine, Eastern medicine, my spiritual practices, my miracle morning, all of it. And the doctors were blown away by how well I responded and how quickly the cancer was in remission. But as much as I wanted to get off chemo, they kept me on chemo. And and I can't say they, I mean, it was not against my will, but when you don't know, and when you've got this rare cancer, right? It's like, you you don't, I, I called all these holistic doctors, some of the best in the nation. And they all said, do the chemo. Your cancer is so fast acting. There is no holistic practitioner you're going to find that has any proven track record of beating your cancer. So I'm a real holistic type person. So that was the direction mm-hmm. I wanted to go. So anyway, um, I about, so to answer circling back, I, I got off chemo. I was on for three and a half years. I got off about six months ago and toward the end, I became suicidal mm-hmm. and I, it, the chemo, you may have heard of chemo brain. Yeah. That term bothers me because it seems so dismissive once I've gone through it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me completely destroy your ability to think, sir, doctor, right? Yes. Like, and, and your ability to remember and to function and, and then develop anxiety. Like it, my brain felt like someone had the controls and mm. all my mental strength. It just, it, it didn't matter. I, my brain wasn't functioning correctly. And then I was, I went and I got tested and they diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder all these things. And so finally I was like, you know, I was desperate for, it was like six months. I wasn't sleeping. And I go, how do I do, what do I do? You know, how do I fix this? And then it was like, wait a minute, the last time I felt depressed and it wasn't even close to that level, but in 2008 and I go, what changed things for me? The miracle morning. And I go, okay, I'm still doing my miracle morning and I'm depressed and I'm scared. And what, 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 what do I do? First thing was get off chemo, right? Like, you know, if that, if that poison is what's doing this to my brain, get off chemo. But then here's what I did. I evaluated my miracle morning and I went, okay, what? And I pulled out my, my binders and my journals from 2008 to remember what was it like then? What, how was my miracle morning then? And has it changed now? And it absolutely had. It's, it's like an athlete that, you know, you've been playing so long, you forgot the fundamentals that your coach used to teach about how to position the right hand and the left hand and right. And, you know, and now you're just slightly off and it messes up the whole game. And so I realized I've gotten so far away from the basics. And so, you know, and it's funny, people often ask me like, what's changed? Like you said, what's changed in your miracle morning? Or like, what's evolved since you wrote the book? And I realized I nailed it in the beginning. And so I went back to my original miracle morning and my depression went away and I got off chemo. Like they can't leave that out. But, and within weeks I was back to normal. I felt like me again, you know? So yeah, so the, the point is that the miracle morning um, in its simplest form, its essence 
I've found is more effective than when you get too far away from the basics that work. Yeah, I think that's true in so many things. Uh, that that takes me back to the experiences that our agents are having right now in the market. It's just, it's crazy. And it's hard not to be reactive to that and, and try to want to respond with something new or something better and just yeah. kind of out outbeat, you know, the experience that you're having, but it is a back to basics deal, write your contract strong, be careful with your risk. Like all of the things that were always true are even more true when things are extra amped up um, to, to yeah. that point. A lot of people root themselves in routine, but that may not be this routine. I want to just gut check with you that you truly believe that it takes all six of the practices to make this experience whole. Why, why is that? What, what happens when we take one away? Not at all. It does not. You don't need all six. No. Okay. Um, the miracle morning, the savers are kind of like a buffet and you try them. I always, I encourage people in the book that, Hey, for the first 30 days, do all six of them. Right. I did. Okay. I, I did all six for years and I still, to this day, I do all six, but not every day. In fact, the only one I don't, I don't, I think the only one I don't do every day is visualization for whatever reason. That one just has never resonated with me, but it, it does for specific events. If I have a speech to give or a meeting with an important client or, you know, anything where I need to see myself performing ideally. And actually, I'll give you the, my favorite example. I was training for an ultra marathon and I had never run before outside of the, the, the one mile a year that the PE teacher made you run in high school, right? Like you had to run a mile every year. I, I hated running and I never ran outside of that. And so when I was doing a miracle morning, I started just the more I did it, the more I started thinking bigger for myself and getting excited. And I go, I kept going like, how could I up level my physical health? How could I up level my fitness? How could I up level this? How could I, right? And, and I go, what if I ran a marathon? A friend of mine has a, a charity front row foundation and he had invited me to, to run. And I told him no initially. I'm like, dude, I'm not a runner. No. And, uh, and then I got off the call and I go, I'm not a runner. Is that a limiting statement or what? You know? It's like, I'm yeah. not a person. Well, mm -hmm. if you don't wake up early, of course you're not. If you don't run, of course you're not, right? There is no, I'm not a runner. I need to, I, I've got to do it. I got to overcome that. So I called him back. I said, hey, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm committing it publicly. I'm going to put it on Facebook so I can't chicken out. And, and, and having never run more than a mile once a year in, in high school, right? So it had been, what, 10 years since I ran. I was terrified. I was like, you know, it's like, this is crazy. But then I had a friend that had done an ultra marathon. I was so, for me, 26 miles running a marathon was so far off from my reality that I went delusionally. I went, if I could run 26, I could run 52. Like they're both just as a, a, a ridiculous to me. Sure. So, yeah. That, in total, I told you I'm delusionally optimistic. And so I committed, I go, I, I decided to run a, run an ultra marathon and I had never run before. So I bought a book called, and this, if you're listening and you hate running and you want to run, this is the book to get. It's called the non- runners marathon trainer it helps with the psychology of i hate running how do i commit to a marathon and um here's the point the most effective of the savers for me during that time interestingly enough was visualization that normally resonates the least here's how i did it and again if you're taking notes i'm going to give you two steps you can actually start doing this right away so most people we, we've been taught visualization as this like just see the end result Picture the house you want to live in, right? If you're a realtor, um, you know, yeah. write, write yourself a check for a million dollars and post it on the wall like Jim Carrey, right? And we're taught to visualize the end result. There's value in that. 
but it's also, I believe, more problematic than valuable if you leave it at that alone. And here's what I mean. The value in it is this. The more you see something, the more you start to believe it. You acclimate to it as a, po- a real possibility. When I started visualizing crossing the finish line in the marathon at first, I'm like, no way. I'm not, there's no way I could do this. But then days go by and I'm seeing it and I'm feeling it. Weeks go by and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. Just the visualization. Cause I saw it so many times. It was like, I've seen it. I believe it. It's real. The problem is if you leave it at that, it's counterproductive because you actually delude yourself into thinking that that outcome is virtually guaranteed without your effort. You and skipped all the work, right? Yeah. yeah. You just went, Oh man, I've seen it so many times. I know it's going to happen. It's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. Slow yeah. down. You're a little overconfident for somebody that hasn't done anything to get ready for that outcome. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. So the second part of visualization, I believe it's the most important. Once you visualize that ideal outcome and you feel what that's going to be like, step two is visualize yourself engaged in the necessary activities while in an optimal emotional state. We'll say that again. Step two, visualize yourself engaged in the necessary activities while in an optimal emotional state. So I would see myself every morning, I would picture, I would close my eyes to visualize and I would see that my, my alarm on my phone going off at 7 a.m. Experience, I would see myself get up, walk into my closet. I would even say things to myself like, this run's gonna be incredible. I'm becoming a better version of myself with every step that I take. I'm, I'm gonna be so happy after I do this run and I'm grateful that I have the ability to run. I just want to get myself like totally in the state. And then here's the beauty of that. I was mentally rehearsing an optimal performance, if you will, just like athletes do. And when the alarm on my phone went off at 7 a.m., the natural thing for us to do with things like running, if we don't like running or or cold calling or whatever activities we we procrastinate on, it's because we have a negative association with those. But when the alarm went off at 7, I didn't rehearse procrastinating. I didn't rehearse negative self-talk. I did, what I did without thinking about it, I got up, went in my closet, got dressed in my running clothes, went to the front door, opened the front door. And as I saw the sidewalk, there was an emotional anchor. I was flooded with excitement and optimism and drive to dive out on the sidewalk and go for that run. And you can apply this to everything in your life, all the way down to engaging with your spouse in a loving, romantic way when you've been fighting for a week. Like you can put yourself in that state, see it feel it, and then just go do what you rehearsed that morning. But you started at the point of uh, of the saver. Sometimes those practices are more needed or less needed, just depending on the outcome that you're working towards. Like visualization wasn't always working for you, but it worked for you in this instance, right? Yeah. So it's, it's fair to say that you can kind of choose and pick and choose the way that works for you based on what you're after at that point. Yes, thank you for bringing this to a close. You're a good interviewer. You're a really good listener. Yeah, so with the savers, you, I encourage you for 30 days, do all of them. Now, okay. to, to answer uh, some nuances to the question around the savers, um, A, you don't have to do all of them, right? You could you know, choose the ones you like. Uh, B, you could do them any order. Some people exercise first because they want to get like their body moving, right? That's great. You don't yeah. have to meditate first. You can, you can do any order you want. In fact, there's a chapter toward the end of the Miracle Morning book that's it's titled Customizing the Savers to fit your lifestyle and achieve your goals, right? It's a long chapter title, but it's going, look, if, what works for you, you know? And, well, oh, the other piece is the duration. You could do 
10 minutes of meditation, five minutes of affirmations, five minutes of visualization, 20 minutes of exercise, 15 minutes of reading, right? Like you can play with it. And, and the last thing I'll say is the overall duration, most Miracle Morning practitioners we've surveyed, it's like 84% do one hour every morning. Um, and then there's about 12% that do 30 minutes. And then the, the remaining, whatever it is, 4% do anywhere from six minutes to two hour. You know what I mean? Like they, they, do, they, they do all over the place. Um, but you can customize the Miracle Morning completely to fit your lifestyle, your preferences, your desires, your objectives, your goals, et cetera. I love it. I love that there's flexibility in that. I think that's important for everybody. We're all wired differently, to say the sure. least. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, that, that works for folks. I think this has been a great opportunity to tee up a conversation you're going to have with our members later this month, Hal. I so appreciate you being with us. And I'm excited to hear more about your journey and, and what, what folks can be doing just to kind of anchor themselves in a time that feels very chaotic and out of control sometimes. So thank you. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thanks for tuning in. Like what you hear? Let's continue this conversation. Give us some love by leaving us a review on iTunes and let your friends know about the show by sharing this episode on social media. You can also follow along and tag me at M. Shinevere. That's E-M. Shinevere. Until next time.